0: you'll make your way to second chronicles 21 we are we are in a text where uh, jason did a great job he read the entire account that's recorded in kings now the interesting thing is we think kings covers the same stuff as chronicles it's sometimes it's the exact same stuff but always there's a little bit of difference so chronicles is really going after the judah kings kings is really going after the northern kings and giving that stuff, but they sometimes overlap, and there's some interesting overlap with this guy. Now we've been following the kings until we get to Elijah and Elisha, and then we lose sight of the kings because Elijah and Elisha are so very interesting. But now Elisha's kind of fading out a little bit, and we're going back to the kings. We're in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Um, You've heard this phrase, I know you've probably said it before, The cubs, for instance, uh, whenever it's spring, they're all talking big, but when they actually take the field, things go south. You ever heard that phrase before? Uh, in other words, it makes a turn for the worse, right? It sounds negative. No one really knows where that phrase or that idiom comes from. I think people think maybe the Civil War, that after they, not only did the South lose the war, but they went into a great poverty after that. Others will say, uh, no, it has to do with the economy, that they, when they chart the economy going up or down, when it goes down, it looks like it's going in a southerly direction. Others will say it's from the Indians who, when they say, you're going to die, you're going south. I don't know where it comes from, but you know what you're saying, right? Things go sour, and you say, well, things went south in a hurry. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at that kind of concept, but it's just the opposite. The south starts going north. Now, you know, right, God split the north and the south. you got ten tribes that, stayed, that went north, and they are in revolt against the south. And they don't. God's promise through David is with the southern tribes. But this whole splitting thing really was God's idea, and it happened. And they were to stay kind of like this way, right? The northern tribes didn't have a single good king. But boy, when Ahab took the throne, it went south in a hurry in the north, right? That's what we'd say. Things never did ever get back right. So the north was never in good shape and pretty soon Jeremiah says that God divorces the northern tribes and they just kind of get lost. It's a sad story. Down south they have the promise of God given to David that David's people would always be on the throne and it would eventually lead to Jesus. So the south has a special protection from God in his promise but they have an expectation from God. God can still punish them. God can still reprimand and chastise them, and he will. He says, your, your, your children will be on the throne, but they've still got to follow the law of God. That's the south. We are talking about, the Chronicles is talking about the south, and that's where tonight we're talking about the south starts looking very northern. They're going to look south. They're going to look north. They're going to, they're going to aspire to be like this kingdom part that's so bad. Why do we always seem to look at bad people as if we're jealous? Oh, the world's having all the fun, and we're trying to tell our young people, listen, I know what it looks like, and we're trying to tell them, no, no the world's not having all the fun. It just looks like it, and that's what happens. It just seems like when you're trying to live a righteous life, you're always looking over there thinking, boy, I wish I could get away with some of that stuff. And that's what the southern tribes start doing. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is king in the south, a very, very good king. I mean, he, he wanted to do what God wanted, but here's the thing he wanted to do too. He wanted to get back with the northern tribes. He wanted to forge this unity back to the way it was. And so he would ally with the northern tribes sometimes, and somehow he was able to pretty much keep his devotion to God while also trying to ally with people who weren't. He could do that. And there are some people like this. I can interact with unrighteous, unholy people, and we should. We in the church, we're trying to do that. We're trying to be salt of the earth and light of the world. But aren't we afraid sometimes that when we do that, We'll lose our saltiness. Aren't we a little bit afraid that if we do that too much, we'll actually end up becoming like them? We've got to keep a monitor on ourselves to make sure that we're being salt and not losing our saltiness. Well, uh, that's what happens with Jehoshaphat's children. We're going to see that they're trying to go north here. And what you see in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers he was buried with his fathers in the city of David Jehoram his son reigned in his place He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, uh, another guy. It's kind of complicated. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and valuable possessions together with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram. So he wanted to keep all his sons close. They're all in the line of David. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram the firstborn, and when Jehoram, verse 4, had ascended the throne of his father, and it was established, he killed all his brothers with a sword, and also some of the princes of Israel. He killed them all. Why? Because that was assurance. No one would rise up against him. Instead of being encouraged by the fact that there's other offspring of David, he wanted to kill them all to remove all the threats. It's strange. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned for eight years in Jerusalem. So the first thing he did is kill all his brothers. But what I want you to notice, one of the ways you see the south going north is by the way they name their children. Look at this. Ahab, you know he's bad, right? He's a northern king. He's terrible. It goes terrible and terrible and terrible after that. His son Ahaziah... And then his son, Jehoram. A lot of your versions will say Joram, because no, really, the names are exactly the same. In the south, you have Jehoshaphat. He names his son Jehoram, same name that Ahab did. The names are all the same. And then he had an Ahaziah. Which was another northern. They start naming their kids after the northern tribes. They kind of, and then, and then here's the thing. You know who Jehoram marries? We're going to talk about this in a minute. He marries Athaliah, which is Ahab's daughter, and, Ahab, Ahab's, and, and Athaliah then becomes the only queen ever to rule over God's people. And so what happens is Ahab, while he's in the north, is starting to infiltrate the south. They're naming their kids after this. Now, if, if you are a school teacher, you know how difficult this is. You work with a bunch of kids, and quite honestly, there's a bunch of brats that come through your classroom. Is that true? Anybody, anybody have some nightmares that you've had? Any therapy you've had to go with the name of a kid? And here's what happens. You teach enough years, it's the best birth control there is, right? Because you look at these kids, but then all of a sudden you have a kid, and you start thinking, what am I going to name my kid? Well, I'm going to name him Johnny. No, no, I had a terrible one in my second year. And I had to do therapy to get him out of my head, and can't name. And you start trying to name your kids, and all you can think about is these nightmare kids you've had in class, and you have to come up with something like Sue, a boy named Sue. No, I mean, you got to come up with something, right? You got to come up with a name because you don't want to name them after somebody who strikes terror in your heart. Why are the Southern people naming their kids after the North? It's just strange to me. It's one sign that they're just like, I want to be like them. Here's another sign. I want you to see where we stopped our reading just a minute ago. Verse 6, And he, Jehoram, walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He modeled his rule. He said, I want to be just like... Now, this is the son of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a godly person. He wanted to follow God, but he wanted to make an alliance with the north and hopefully influence the north. And while he was able to sustain that, he couldn't do that for his kids. His kids just saw the alliance. They got the alliance message. They didn't get the purity message. And this is what scares me to death about parenting. I think I can navigate through a world where there's a lot of godlessness that I can clearly see is, not, is against the law of God and I can, still, I can still have some kind of influence on it. But my fear is we're so busy trying to be nice and loving and gentle and kind that the next generation gets our gentleness but they don't get our fortitude of faith. This is the scariest part. We do need to live in a way of respect and love with a world that doesn't believe like us. But we must hold on to our beliefs that are vastly different from them. How do we do that? How do we model this for our kids? We don't believe we believe, we believe scripture says, listen, you can have orientation struggles or whatever, but the homosexual lifestyle, that is against the law of God. But be nice to the people who struggle with it. Be nice to the people who practice it. But how do we do this? How can we be nice without just endorsement? How do we do that? Jehoshaphat obviously couldn't model that. Jehoram got the niceness, but he didn't get the conviction. And he decided, I want to be just like the North, so much that I'm going to marry Ahab's daughter. Now, if there's a flashing red sign of danger, it's when you're dating somebody and you find out their dad is a total rascal. And she doesn't fall far from the tree, and yet you want to be so much like Ahab, you're willing to marry into the family. That's crazy. That's what he aspired to be like. Crazy, crazy, crazy. You can't marry a witch and hope to be a saint. You just can't do it. You may have heard this joke before, and it is a joke. It's a terrible joke. But I just decided it fit here, so why not put it here? I, the, the, the joke is that there was this terrible, terrible, awful family of people, and one of the brothers died. And the other brother, who was just as terrible as he was, comes up to the preacher and says, I'll, I'll give you $500 to do his funeral. If you can say that he was a saint, if you'll say he was a saint, I'll give you $500. So the preacher just went, well, do I tell the truth? Do I lie? What do I? So he, did, he went through the funeral and described the guy as horrible, terrible. The last line, though, he is so awful. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. That's how you do it. You can't marry Ahab's daughter up to here in Baal and think that you're going to be godly. God protected Jehoram, though. I want you to look at the next verse, which is one of those wonderful verses of Scripture, verse 7 of 2 Chronicles 21. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever, God was going to protect him, going to punish him, you'll see him punished because he takes two of their nations away. The Edomites and the Libna people, they were all kind of sourcing, funding Israel's stuff, but they revolted and they couldn't do anything about it. They lost some stuff, but God says, I'm going to keep my promise to your great-great-grandfather. And one of the things I love about the Christian life, listen, you're going to be full of flaws. You're going to have days you're terrible You're going to have days where if every day was like this one, you'd wonder if God could love you or not. You're going to have bad days. I'm going to tell you this. God's going to keep his promise because of his son Jesus and what you believe about him. That's a wonderful thing. That's the thing that keeps us going. But it should inspire you to aspire to be even greater people. There's a third connection. And it is the oddest thing I don't really know what to do with it. Maybe I need to call James Johnson. Hey, tell us what to do about this. There's a third connection. It starts in verse 11. And at first, you're going to... At first, you're going to kind of balk at this, right? Uh, moreover... He made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. So here's a third thing that they're doing to go north. They're putting high places for false worship, just like Ahab did. They're starting to, he, he actually practices and leads the nation into false practices. But here's where it gets weird. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. Is Elijah a king's figure or a chronicle's figure? He's a king's figure. He never goes to the south. Elijah and Elisha are pure, they're pure northern people. They don't go to the, this is the only time his name appears in the books of Chronicles. What's he doing here? And by the way, he's dead, not dead, he's gone. Whirlwind, but now a letter appears. What kind of mail service do you think that is? He is a northern guy. He went to Ahab, you remember? He went after Ahab and Ahab's kids. He went after all the false worship of the north, But why all of a sudden this is his lone time to ever do anything down south? This is a sign. The south is becoming north, and so God's going to treat them north. I'm going to treat you by sending you the most established prophet, a word from him, and it's coming down to you. Yeah, I've been getting on to the north through Elijah for years, Mount Carmel and all that stuff, and now I'm directing his attention to you because if you're going to act north, I'm going to treat you like north. I'm going to send you a letter from Elijah who, I think, is already gone. And this is what it says. A letter came to him, verse 12, from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord the God of David your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, Elijah worked when they really went to Baal worship, and so here he's coming after him. As the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom, and also you have killed your brothers of your father's house who were better than you are. Behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people and your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you yourself will have a severe sickness with a disease of your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. Boy, this is graphic, graphic, stinky letter. He may have been alive, Elisha. I keep saying dead. He never died. He may have still been on earth at the very early parts of Jehoram's reign. But the stuff he mentions are the latter things. I'm almost, scholars debate this, I think it's a letter sent to him either that Elijah could see what's going to happen and he left this letter to arrive at the right time or Elijah is writing from heaven. Isn't that weird? But in a certain sense, every time you pick up the Bible, you're reading a letter from heaven, aren't you? God's saying, I'm going to send my prophet down there and I'm warning you. I'm giving you the right warnings that I said I'm going to give. And these two things did happen. In the, as the story proceeds, the Philistines attack. They carry off the good stuff of the king's palace. They carry off all his children. And the way he killed all his brothers so that he was the lone one still reigning, all his sons are gone except one, only one. That's his punishment from God. You did this to your brothers, I'm going to do this to your children. Lost his family. And now there's only one left and then the Lord afflicted him with this terrible disease. It's so bad that his bowels eventually come out. And then I want you to notice the ceremony of honor at the end of his life. Verse 18, this is a great junior high text. So I'm going to entertain them. After after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease. He died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor, no funeral, like the fires made for their fathers. He was 32 years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He departed to no one's regret. I love that. Ain't nobody sad about that. They almost had to pay mourners to have anybody crying at his funeral. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. This guy, the people recognized he did nothing good for us. He led us into trouble. We became just like the the disgusting northern tribes, and we are now a stench in God's nostrils because of him. Don't allow yourself as God's people to feel like you're missing something. And let's not teach the truth as if somehow the world's having all the fun and we just got to restrain ourselves and live righteous lives and all that stuff and missing out on all the joys of this world. So the first thing I would say to this about preventing northernization, I don't even know if northernization is a word, but I love it, and so I want everybody to take a picture of that screen right there. That's brilliant. Northernization. Aspire to be faithful and walk closely with God so that you motivate others to do the same. I hope to live such a life that people don't think I'm longing to be part of the world, I'm just abstaining so I can please God. I want it to do such a way that it makes other people want to follow God too. Inspire people around you to live up to God's will rather than down to our base natures. And use biblical names if you need to. Second, be careful who you marry. To marry Athaliah seems like an easy thing to have figured. Her father was terrible and godless. Her mother was awful. I often tell people, don't marry somebody who's named Jezebel But maybe I should tell you, and don't marry somebody whose mother's name was Jezebel either, right? No matter what she looks like, she must have been beautiful. But listen, there's something underneath that skin that is just terrible, and it's going to lead you, right? No matter what she looks like, for crying out loud, look beyond the outside. Think with something other than your eyes, Third, be careful what you do with your influence and power. He he became king, and he could have ultimate authority, right, in the land. And so he built these high places for people to worship falsely on. And he did it, and everybody else did it, and soon we have this problem that's going to plague the chronicles, right? Plague the southern tribes for years after this. All because he started that mess. Be careful what you do with your influence and the power you have. And finally, listen to God's people. Elijah was a prophet who tried to course correct Jehoram and it just didn't work. God's going to send people into your life. That's the kind of God we serve. He's going to surround you with people who are going to try to tell you and help you to live a righteous life. But listen, if you, if you refuse to ever listen to the words of righteous people you surround yourself with, it's a sign. It's an indication to you. It should, be, it should be something that you realize is rebellion. Make sure you have some people around you who will tell you the truth. And when they do, listen to them. That's the means of going south, I mean north, spiritually. A direction you don't want to go. And yet the lesson of value, again, I'll remind you, just like it's said a couple times as you read this. What separates us from ultimate judgment and shame is that we are in Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and that goes a long way to cover what we know are our blemishes that every one of us still maintains as we live our lives in this earth. Even our best efforts are not worthy enough to justify a good standing with God, either getting one or keeping one. And so we have this promise, this gift of Jesus. And because of that, we are in Christ and we have assurance and confidence. Not an excuse to be spiritually lazy. And may we, as people who are in Christ, start looking more and more like Christ and helping others who are around us to have the influence of Christ on them. Don't go north. Don't live your life to where suddenly you take a, a southern turn. Let's be people who honor God and live out his character and his nature, reflecting the fact that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening and some, uh, some concern of their life that's spiritual in nature, we would love to help you if that is your need as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.